This is the Orca Podcast. Today on our show, we have our guest, Catherine Lanyon. She is an intern here at Orca Summer 2019. So you currently go to Barrie. It's in Georgia. What are you studying and when do you plan on graduating? I am studying environmental science with Mm -hmm. a concentration in biology and I'll be graduating this upcoming spring in 2020. Okay, cool. You have been doing some ecotoxicology work at Orca. How would you define ecotoxicology to somebody who doesn't know much about it? Basically, ecotoxicology is kind of work that we're doing for the water, and you can also do it for sediment as well, which would be on land. We're taking samples and bringing them back to the lab to do analysis on them, and then through those tests, it gives us back different readings, and those we use to kind of determine the health of the lagoon or also like the surrounding areas around it. So it's kind of like you going in for a checkup with a doctor. They might not know what's all going on, so they may take some blood tests or other tests to then determine and further diagnose you. So that's kind of what we're doing with the samples that we bring back to the lab. Simply breaking down the word, you, you're you studying the mm-hmm. toxins that are in yeah. whatever ecology you're studying or exactly. the ecosystem or the ecosystem or like the area of interest that we're looking at too cool so at orca we study a lot of the ecology and species interactions in the indian river lagoon a lot of what's been talked about in local media are these blue green algae blooms that are toxic and their effects on human and fish health can you sort of expand our scope and talk about what these blooms have the potential to do in the long term and some of the issues that can compound year after year. So some of the algae blooms result in when they die off, and that usually happens when they enter the saltwater um, system because mm-hmm. they usually start out in freshwater and through the various river and stream systems, they end up making it to the ocean, and that's usually when they start to die off. So ones that we've been testing for at Orca has been microcystin. That's been a big kind of buzzword here. Right. We've also been doing kind of more like one health study. Um, One of our researchers has been collecting fish. She's brought them back to the lab, and I've helped to assist her to dissect the fish. We've taken skin, filet, liver, and stomach samples from them. Mm -hmm. Um, And right now she's actually doing some extractions from microcystin from the skin and filets. So hopefully we will see if there's any accumulation of that toxin found in the fish filets and skin. And see what happens there. Right. So you're suggesting that these toxins maybe... Fish, some fish are herbivores, although eat like kind of the algae or eat something smaller like shrimp that maybe have eaten the algae previously. And mm-hmm. then throughout time, it can kind of bioaccumulate throughout the food chain. Right. And then it can get into the human system by us consuming the fish that we get but catch out of the lagoon. And that's what you're trying to see. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've been studying oysters this summer, and these bivalves are considered a keystone species, meaning that any damage to them could trigger a cascade of risk to the rest of the organisms living in the same area. That's a big job. How have you gone about that? So with the oysters, this we just got a fresh new batch of them. They were, I think, believe, were tanked raised, so they weren't actually from or grown in the lagoon. 
so far they're in now giant buckets with bubblers and I feed them every single day. Um, <laughs> so far so good. Those ones have actually been holding up quite well. They haven't died or anything like that. The first generation of oysters that we had while I was here, they came straight from the lagoon and they actually grew up in the lagoon. Um, we bought them back and set up with the same scenario. We had big tubs, bubblers, they got fed. But I think we shocked them because they were in such a clean environment. So they started dying off very, very quickly. And we ended up probably only having three surviving at the end of like two weeks of us having them. So you're saying that the that first batch, batch of oysters that grew up in the lagoon, they mm -hmm. were used to all of the... They were so used to it. That's why we're thinking they began to die off. We just kind of... It was too clean your, for yeah, them. We changed your environment too much. And I just don't think they were able to really quite adjust wow you sort of treat them as pets and yes you have exactly to go in take care of them feed i literally them. call them my children while i'm here <laughs> <laughs> what's something interesting that you've learned about oysters in your preliminary research so before you started this whole project so i've been doing a literature review project so that's basically going through the literature on different studies that have been similar to this and also just about the whole oysters and their relationship with the ecosystem that they live in so a couple of interesting things that I didn't actually realize how tough they were and mm. how resilient they can be, mm -hmm. um, especially if they grow into that environment and continue to grow with it constantly changing. They're quite resilient, so they are a really good keystone species in that sense. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to, I guess, start another like oyster harvesting or you're taking oysters out and then putting them in a different environment, there's definitely they don't really hold up to that change either. So. Interesting. Yeah. So they, they can just grow up really tough, and then as soon mm -hmm, as things get exactly. easier for them, it's like or shock. Yeah, easier or even like harder in the you know other end of the spectrum. Right. So I thought that was kind of an interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that does, that does make them a pretty good keystone yeah. species that they're able to withstand so many different things, mm -hmm. so long as it's not too extreme. So uh, apart from toxins produced by the blue-green algae that we've been talking so much about, what else is harmful to oysters? What do they need to thrive? They're filter feeders, so they need a lot of really good, healthy water columns. So they have to have plenty of plankton to feed on and things like that. They are resilient to pollutants, so like heavy metals and also like added nutrients. But then, you know, over time, if, or if they're introduced to that environment, that could not be the greatest either for them. So I think, honestly, too, through the research I've been looking at, the main threat is actually, like, heavy metals. And usually you can find that a lot higher accumulations in oysters that are found, like, on harbors or around their boats because mm -hmm. of all of that kind of, like, industrial kind of environment is more present for them. So talk to us about other setbacks that you experienced with this project. So your first batch died on you. Right. Um, and also, we've been so this project is going to be developed to be a citizen science project. So we're actually going out and using people who live in the community's docks, and that's actually where the cages are and are like hung up, and then they hang in the water. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping as this project progresses that the people actually would go out, look at the cages, monitor them, take photos. And we'll also collect the oysters after they've been out for a month or so okay. and bring back to us so we can do further testing, like tissue tests and things like that. So these people volunteer their docks and you go 
drop the cage of oysters in the water and then does it hang in the water column? It does. So instead of being on the ground, like in the mm-hmm. benthic area of the water column, it they hang. What they. kind of difference does that make for your project? It helps them to be in the water column so we constantly have the water flowing throughout mm-hmm. the cage. So it gives a good overall sampling because they're filtering in all that water instead mm-hmm. of just being stagnant on the bottom. They're kind of like in that mixing of the water in the water column gotcha. that way. Rather than wait till all of the particles sort of drift to the right, bottom and exactly. get to them, it just puts them right in the middle of the mm-hmm. action. Okay, awesome. You're setting this up to be a citizen science project. How do people get involved? Are they volunteering their docs? Are they going to be the ones that are coming in and doing the experimentation? Depending on how much they want to get involved, mm-hmm. is we're welcome to any to all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the main start is, of course, volunteering your docs and then allowing us to use them, come out and check on them. And mm-hmm. then if they want to do it, any do any steps further, they're welcome to you know collect the oyster for us. And then once we we can set up a time to meet them in the lab they would like they can do the lab analysis with us and mm-hmm. just kind of have that more involvement or you can just do basic i just want you to use my doc and then okay it, so but people don't necessarily have to have a doc to begin with no they can just get involved in, mm-hmm. in the other stuff awesome. exactly is there anything that you've really you know you've had like an aha moment with these oysters in the lab or you've notice that there is this in fact this thing we were looking for is here or not at this point since it's only the preliminary steps of it it's Mm -hmm. only the beginning of the pilot project so we've worked out some keeks we figured out the right depth to hang the oyster cages we figured out construction of the oyster cages (laughs) is super important one time we had some slip through a gap so we actually ended up losing a couple so we made sure throughout more building of more cages that that was taken care of right um so just trial and error mm-hmm, and trial and error kind of and i think i've warned a lot of patients with this project because it was supposed to be happening already like the actual project but we mm-hmm. just have run into just some kinks in the road which happens science is not always this like works out so smoothly mm-hmm. so it's been really fun to be part of that like kind of journey and progress of making this project hopefully a really really good one awesome so what are you what are the lessons that you're going to take back to Barry this fall that's definitely one of them that science kind of works at its own pace and that's okay sometimes right so that and then also just having good communication with the sciences and people that might not understand it because we go over to people's homes and they're usually there and we usually have to be like this is what we're doing today and kind of talk them through the process and I think having that communication has really helped that communication too they take it and like share it with their friends and everything so it's kind of been like word to mouth and spreading about this project so yeah. we've gotten a lot of encouragement and involvement is from that too so can you think of an example off the top of your head of something that you know maybe you and your classmates might understand because you're studying environmental science that you've had to break down on the spot one would definitely like we were talking about the algae blooms and me saying that a smaller fish would eat a bigger fish and it like bioaccumulates throughout the ecosystem. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't really associate that term with anything. So gotcha. kind of like showing that kind of building block. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank I really you. appreciate your willingness to come on and share your story about the summer.